My name's Danielle Strickland. I'm a woman. Turn to someone, turn to someone beside you, say she's a woman. I'm a woman and I work with the Salvation Army, so I'm completely qualified to talk about the feeding of the 5,000 on every level, every conceivable level. It's fantastic to be with you. I was actually thinking about my son earlier. I have an almost six-year-old son named Zion, and uh, he just started grade one in Australia. So I actually, I'm from Canada. I'm living in Australia currently. Somebody said to me the other day, what are you on a colony tour and you finally come to the mothership? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> he started school and um, so it was his first day of grade one and I was thinking, I've really got to find out, you know, I'm, I really want to find out what happens in grade one in Australia. You know, surely something weird, like they count kangaroos or something, right? So I sat down and we had this debrief and I said, Zion, you know, what, what was grade one like? Your first day of grade one, Jan just, just January. And, uh, and he said, well, mom, pretty much, you know, all we did was we shared stories about what we did over the Christmas break. And I was like, oh, fantastic. Because over the Christmas break, we'd really made the most of our Australia visit. You know what I mean? So I was thinking, great, maybe you told him about when we were swimming with sharks. I'm pretty sure there were sharks in the water. I didn't see any, but I'm pretty sure I'm in Australia. There were sharks, right? I was nervous the whole time. And, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking he's going to tell. Anyway, he says, uh, he, he says to me, well, Mom, I wanted it to be really, really good. So I made one up. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no, there goes our ministry to the neighborhood, right? <laughs> anyway, so I said, well, well honey, what did you, what was this, what did you tell? What did you say? And he said, well, do you remember the time, this is how he starts, do you remember the time in Canada when I went to that go-kart ride and I was riding on the go-kart and the go-kart caught on fire and then the go-kart miraculously exploded and turned into a motorcycle and then the motorcycle went around all the way to the end until I got that great big huge trophy? <laughs> and I said, no, honey, mommy doesn't remember that, you know? Like, you know, I hate to discourage the kid, but honestly, <laughs> I don't remember that. So undaunted, he takes his hand and he puts it on my head and he closes his eyes. And then he says, now do you remember? <laughs> and I, in this story, seriously, John chapter 6, Jesus is doing something similar. All through the Gospels, actually, He's actually making up a better story, right? He's making up a better story, and he's actually making up a better story and pausing over and over again to actually ask the Israelites, do you remember now? Do you remember now? Do you remember now? Because what's happening in John chapter 6, as he begins to feed the multitude and he offers sort of bread, he's offering a bread from heaven. He's actually cluing them in. He's, do you remember now the story of Moses? He's actually trying to say, do you remember the time as a people when you were lost and discarded and oppressed beyond even measure, beyond what you could think of? thinking that, you know, delivery was not in your future. Death actually was imminent and you were going to live this way as slaves forever. But then God heard your cries and saw your plight and answered from heaven and sent this deliverer to you. Do you remember now? <laughs> Do you remember now? Do you remember the desert? Do you remember when you had nothing to eat, but then bread came from heaven? The manna, the manna bread from God? Do you remember now? 
And he's cluing them in to this bigger story, to this larger thing, to the story of the Israelites of deliverance and freedom forever. It's this fantastic thing. I don't know about you, but I forget. I forget sometimes. I think it's about the church, and I think it's about management, and I think it's about systems, and I think it's about career, and sometimes I even think it's about spring harvest, you know. <laughs> and I forget. Do you, you do this sometimes in your ministry? Do you forget? I forget, and the, the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus shows up in these places, and he says, do you remember now? <laughs> And I've been thinking about this deliverer Moses and the things that Jesus was trying to say because Jesus wasn't actually just trying to say he's like Moses. He's trying to actually say something much, much bigger than that. This is even bigger than what they could imagine. He's just trying to trigger their imaginations to remember, to remember who they were as the people of God and what they were supposed to be about, which was about blessing and freeing and bringing good news to the entire world. He's trying to stretch their imaginations. I mean, this is the Passover feast. This is a political time. They're just trying to think about how they can overthrow the Romans. Jesus is trying to trigger their, their memory and say, forget about the Romans. <laughs> we got bigger things to do than that. And I've been thinking about this, who is Moses, you know? Who was Moses? And then I'm actually thinking about the story and the character involved in the story when Jesus sides up to Philip and says, Philip, now who is Philip? Turn to somebody beside you and say, I have no idea. Philip. I mean, I think it's the first mention of him in all of scripture, right? He's the one disciple we leave off the list. You know, when you're doing that, who are the 12 disciples? And you can never remember Philip. Who's Philip? And then the other guy involved in the story is Andrew. And Andrew is like named as the brother of somebody. He doesn't even just get Andrew, the disciple of Jesus. He gets Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, who's the disciple of Jesus, right? These are the two least likely disciples. Moses, an unlikely character himself. And I think there's something going on in this story that's really, really important underneath all of it, even with Moses. Do you remember when Moses was talking to God? God was saying, I've heard the plight. I've seen the thing. This stuff's going on. I want you to stop it. And Moses says, how am I going to do that? Who am I to do that? And it's actually a really, really good question. Who is he to do that? And, and how am I going to do this thing? And Philip last night talked about the what of the kingdom of God. The spirit of the Lord is on us because he's anointed us to go. The what of the kingdom of God. If, if Philip's talking about the, the declaration of the kingdom of God, then here we are right at this place in a demonstration of it. This is how we're going to do it. Moses says, who am I? What am I going to take? And God says, what's that in your hand? <laughs> Moses looks, well, it's a staff. You know, all the shepherds have one. <laughs> it's, it's a staff. Nothing ordinary. Nothing special. Moses apparently isn't really that good of a speaker. He probably stinks like sheep. God says, throw that down. Moses throws that down, and all of a sudden, the staff, this wooden stick that he uses to hit sheep every now and then, becomes the cosmic power of the universe. It becomes something incredible. Just the stick. Philip, who's he? Andrew, who's he? Fish and chips. What are we, in England? What is that? That's the recipe of the kingdom of God. That's the recipe necessary for the kingdom to advance in the world. <laughs> Ordinary, everyday stuff offered up. <laughs> Nothing special. 
Nothing magical, nothing crazy, nothing shiny. It wasn't golden, it wasn't silver, it wasn't emblazoned. Every shepherd had one. It was just what he had in his hand. It's just what he brought to the, to the, the thing, the little boy. It's just what he brought. Nothing's miracle about fish and chips. It's just what he brought. Everyday, ordinary things. You know, I remember I, I worked in Russia for a year when the Salvation Army went back. 1992, the curtain came down and we went in and I was just really super young. I was like 11. And, uh, and I went in and I, and I worked with these really am amazing leaders in so many ways. This one particular guy who was a commanding presence. I mean, if there was a Soviet leader, he was sort of the prototype in a Salvation Army uniform. I mean, he was commanding, tall, strong, tough. You know, if, if we were leaving at six o'clock and you weren't there by six o'clock, he left anyway. You know the type? It's fantastic. He actually was amazing, charismatic. He was so gifted in so many ways. A businessman, all these sort of stuff. And I was just sort of his lackey, you know. I was just cleaning up around things and doing anything that I could to sort of serve the, the, the kingdom. And he had to go, and he was amazing. He, he, Boris Yeltsin actually offered him an office in, in the Kremlin, you know. He was just this incredible guy. And he was going for three months, and, uh, and someone was coming to replace him. And so they asked if I would stay and just sort of drive around that replacement and sort of be the lackey for that person and help with the transition. So I said, yeah, sure, I've got nothing else better to do. I'm only 11. <laughs> And so I offered to stay, and they said, oh, the replacement is this retired lady, you know, 68-year-old little lady. I thought, oh, fantastic. <laughs> That's great. I'll do some babysitting, you know. I just was thinking, oh, man, here we go. So the 68-year-old woman comes in, you know, little, small, a little bit hunched, 68 years old, and I'm, I'm thinking, like, let the party begin. <laughs> and... Uh, and she came in, nothing or, like just an old lady, nothing special, nothing, you know, charismatic, no commanding presence, no, you know, nothing of the sort. And one of the first things we did was we had to go to this prison. It was a hidden prison inside the city of Moscow. And the warden there had asked the Salvation Army if we would come and we would help. So we thought, fantastic, we would. And the amazing thing is, is that's actually the same prison that housed a lot of Christians when Stalin came into power. So we said we would, but we were the only people allowed into the prison. It was quite an infam infamous prison. And we were the only ones allowed in. So the, this, this leader that I had worked with had made uh, arrangements for Time Magazine and several other key reporters from America to accompany the Salvation Army into this prison for various reasons, I'm sure. And so they were, they, we had to pick them up. So it was this little old lady, Ingrid Lindbergh, myself driving the vehicle, and these three major American reporters in the back seat, and we're driving to this prison, arrangements made by the charismatic leader. And we're driving to this prison, and these guys start talking amongst themselves, and they're talking about how horrible the Russian prison system is, and how horrible they've heard this prison is, and how they're so excited to get a glimpse, and to spread the word, and blah, 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 and doing this sort of cynical, negative reporter thing. And Ingrid Lindbergh looks at me, and she goes, pull the van over. And I'm like, what? And actually, it was more like, pull the van over. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I pull the van over because I'm in the army and I just do what I'm told, right? And, uh, and she turns around. She says to these guys, you know, these American big reporters. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm in so much trouble later, right? <laughs> she turns around. She says, guys, I think you've missed it. I think you've missed the point here. I think you've missed what we're doing. We're here for the Russian people. We love the Russian people. We're here to help. This warden's extended an invite. We're wanting to come in. I think you've missed it. And they're all just sort of sitting there silently in the back seat, little old lady telling them off. 
And then I, I look at, and then she says the killer words. She says, I think we should pray. And I'm like, oh man, we're done. Like she's praying with Time Magazine, you know, like it's over. <laughs> so she begins to pray. And when she prays, something happens. I can't even explain it to you, but these amazing, cynical, adult reporter men become like little children. They became like six years old. They started to cry. We got to that prison. Yes, this is the Spirit of God filled that van. We got to the prison. I've never seen reporters like this in my whole entire life. They asked permission for every picture they took. They wanted to talk to somebody. They came up to Ingrid Lindbergh and said, would it be okay with you if we had this conversation? The next day, we got a fax from Time Magazine of the article from this reporter asking permission from Ingrid Lindbergh if it was okay to print it. I mean, what's going on? The next day, I'm in the office, and this Time reporter guy comes in again, and he says, look, could I talk to Ingrid? I said, I'm sure you can. He said, look, I'm, just, I'm flying out, but I wondered if it's possible she would pray for me again. <laughs> Nothing ordinary and everything ordinary, isn't it? The kingdom of God. What is the recipe? How do we live out the kingdom of God? It's in the everyday, ordinary, 68-year-old, retired little ladies who offer themselves to the Lord. It's nothing spectacular, and it's everything spectacular. This ordinary, everyday stuff offered in these impossible situations. And this is what happens with Moses, and this is what happens with Philip. Jesus puts the guy into the corner, right? Jesus says to Philip, where are we going to find food for all these people to eat? And Philip actually starts to think about it. <laughs> Typical man. <laughs> he actually tries to think about it. You know, the Sea of Galilee, 5,000 men, I don't know, give or take a few other thousand women and children. He thinks about it. It's an impossible situation. We know from the text that Jesus is setting Philip up in an impossible situation in order to test him, in order to put him in a situation that's impossible, that naturally cannot happen. And I don't know about you, but I try to stay away from those situations as much as I can. I try to follow leaders and I try to do the kingdom of God in measured ways, in ways where I know I can be successful. I try to do things where I can get a win and build some credibility and then I can get another win and build some more credibility. And I do these things that are humanly possible all the time to set myself up so that I can succeed. But that's not how the kingdom of God advances in the world. That's how business is done. That's how some churches are built. But that's not the kingdom advancing in the world. The kingdom advances in the world through ordinary, everyday people in impossible situations. Moses gets himself in a situation where he has to confront the superpower of all superpowers, Pharaoh himself, with a staff. <laughs> impossible. Absolutely impossible, the freedom of the Jews from Pharaoh in Egypt. Impossible. He gets himself into a situation that is absolutely impossible where the Red Sea is in front of him and the Egyptian army is behind him. And what's he going to do? Philip is sitting beside Jesus on an everyday average day with Jesus, watching him heal people, taking in the scenery, doing some crowd control. And Jesus all of a sudden shifts this whole thing to Philip and says, okay, feed these guys. Go ahead now, do it. 
Impossible. Absolutely impossible. I remember being in a neighborhood, downtown east side of Vancouver. I've been uh, church planning there for six years previous to Australia. And it's a, a drug-addicted neighborhood. It's um, 8,000 injecting drug users in a 10-block radius. They're all lost cases. The city's got this containment theory. And they just think if we can just keep them in one place and let them die there, it will stop the infectious rate of HIV in the city. It's a leper colony. I've never seen anything like it. And we had a church plant there. Every couple days, we would go on this thing called street combat. You know, this is a very emerging term, very non-threatening. Yeah, it's fantastic. Street combat, where we assaulted people for Jesus. And I was going out with a friend. It was a bit of a special night because it was her first time, and she was a little bit scared, you know? So in order to make it a little bit more fun for her, I said, hey, why don't we wear rollerblades? <laughs> As you do on street combat, you know? So she agreed. And we went out on rollerblades. In our opening line on rollerblades, we, we, would, we would roll up to people and say, hey, we're holy rollers. Would you like some prayer? Which in any other neighborhood might not work, but in mine, it was a really big hit. And in my neighborhood, there was an infamous character named Flower, a street girl, who was an addict beyond addicts. I mean, she was infamous because she had actually stuck a policeman with a needle in an assault and she was just completely out of control. She was a maniac. And we actually hadn't had much interaction with Flower. But when we rolled down the street that night, <laughs> trying to assault people for Jesus, Flower thought we were hilarious. So she's the first one who comes running up to us and says, hey, what are you doing? And we said, we're holy rollers. Would you like some prayer? And she killed herself laughing. I mean, I know she's on drugs, but... <laughs> She just killed, oh, holy rollers. She said, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. What are you, crazy? You know, like, what do you want drugs? We had this conversation. We started having this really good conversation where she started talking. And my friend had to go, but there I am talking to Flower. I'm, we're chatting it up. And, and she says, look, I'm getting really agitated because I actually need to fix. Would you, I, but I want to keep talking to you. So would you come with me while I fix? Would you just sit with me while I do this fix so that we can have this conversation? I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. Like, I'm a Salvation Army person. We're pretty holy. We don't even drink or anything, you know? Like, I don't know. But I'm like, yeah, I want to keep talking. I want the conversation to keep going. So I go behind the dumpster with her, and we have this ongoing conversation while she's fixing. But this is what, when it happens, it just gets excruciatingly painful because Flower can't find a vein that hasn't already collapsed. She has, cannot find a place to inject her drugs. So I wait with her for half an hour behind this nasty, filthy dumpster alley in the downtown east side while she tries to find a vein to inject with drugs. It's the most excruciating half hour of my whole life. And while I was sitting there in that half hour, despair began to fill me. Hopelessness began to leak in all over the place because all I could think of was this is just one and there's 8,000 more. This is just one. And how is God ever going to, I mean, this is one who I don't even know how it's possibly conceivable that this person, I could have a PhD in addiction and still not to be able to help her. I don't know how this is. And despair and hopelessness is filling me and filling me and filling me. And right at the brink of filling me, the Lord speaks to me. The Spirit of God speaks to my spirit. And he says, flowers were meant to bloom. 
And it was really bizarre, because I, I hadn't even really noticed her name was Flower and the irony of it, until the Spirit spoke to me and said, flowers are meant to bloom. Spirit speaks to me, flowers are meant to bloom, and Flower says to me, hey, can I come over to your house? <laughs> to which I reply, of course. <laughs> And when we get to my house, there's some other people there. We get to my house and flower just explodes in death. Just out of her mouth comes all this, I hate this and I hate this. It's just the demonic forces inside of her just begin to explode. I'm going to kill myself, blah, blah, blah. She's just out of control, which is why people don't bring people like that over to their houses. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> and we didn't know what to do. Everything we tried to do wouldn't work, you know. We tried to speak something. We tried to read some scripture, whatever. We just, nothing would work. Just this death, death, death coming out of her. And finally, somebody grabbed a guitar and just sang, flowers were meant to bloom right? You will not break a reed that's bruised. Beauty for ashes, glory for shame. It's time for your favor again. Just the song poured out. The song of the big story, right? And as the song poured out, flower fell right asleep in my living room. For three days, she slept. And when she woke up, she was different. I got a, a Facebook from her yesterday to say she'd just been accepted to a mission training school, you know? She's full on. Yeah, praise the Lord. Pray for flower. She's blooming. She's blooming. She's blooming. And when that happened, <laughs> when that happened, what was special? What were they anointed rollerblades? with some kind of special golden Johnny Cash guitar. <laughs> it was nothing special. It was everyday, ordinary things offered up in impossible situations and the presence of God. And that's how the kingdom advances. That's how the kingdom advances in the world. <laughs> and I... I forget. I forget this all the time, just like the Israelites in the time of Jesus, just like the Jews in the time of Moses. We forget. <laughs> and like my son Zion, you know, I, I'm telling you, as I go through this life, this resignation, this politics of resignation, where we just accept the status quo, where we just go along with what the world says, when we see the crowd and we just agree with the enemy that there's no possible way to feed them, I forget that there is a way. <laughs> there is a way. It's called the kingdom of God. When I see traffic victim after traffic victim after traffic victim, these little kids and these women who are hurting and abused, and I think, how could they ever be healed? How could the pieces of their life ever be put back together again? And Jesus says to me, do you see them? They're coming. They're a whole crowd of people, and they're coming. Can you see them? Give them something to eat. And I say, it's impossible, God. It's impossible. How will we ever do this? I forget. And Jesus says, we're making up a better story here, Danielle. We're not going down with it was impossible. That's not going to be the end of the word. We're not going down with that. We can do something more than that. We can do something better than that. And how are we going to do it? We're going to do it with everyday, ordinary people. Nameless disciples. People who have nothing more to offer than a silly, lousy staff and some purple rollerblades and some fish and some bread. And they're going to offer them up and position themselves in impossible situations in order to see my presence come and change the world. 
We're making up a better story here. Are you with me? Are you with me? I want a better story. I'm refusing to believe these days that women and children were born to be sold. I'm refusing it. No, no, no. I'm refusing to believe that children caught in cycles of violence and poverty have to stay there. No, no, no. I'm refusing it because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. I'm refusing it because there was a deliverer raised up to save Israel in order that the whole world could be redeemed. And that deliverer, his name's Jesus. And that deliverer comes to you and he comes to me tonight to help us remember that we're part of a bigger story. He comes to help us remember that we too are the deliverers. <laughs> that the Spirit of the Lord is on us, Philip, Mary, Joseph, Irene, Flower, Danielle. And who are we? Nobody special. Nobody special. Ordinary, everyday people offering up what we have in impossible circumstances with the presence of God. Is he on you? Here's what I'm praying tonight. The Holy Spirit on your head, like my son Zion's hand, <laughs> with his eyes closed. And he says to us, now, do you remember? Yeah, help us, Lord. Lord.